All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here at this. Ephesians is a letter in the New Testament. It's about 80, 90% of the way through your physical Bible. So if you don't know where it is, just kind of start from the back and work your way until you find it. You can also find that on our app, on your phone. Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue on in this conversation that we are calling Exiles. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it, all right? So verse 1 of chapter 4, as a prisoner for the Lord. Reminder that this is... This letter is written by a guy named Paul. Paul is writing this letter from prison. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here this morning, to be able to gather in this place together to celebrate what you are doing here in and through discovery, what you're doing here in the city of Davis, what you're doing around our county and even around the world. God, building your kingdom, calling people to follow Jesus, forming communities of disciples who are on mission together. And so as we step back into this this 2,000-year-old letter, from a man who was in jail written to this young church that was facing all sorts of pressures from the outside, pressures from the inside, no blueprint or roadmap for where to go, God. May these words that spoke to them in very powerful and real ways, may they speak to us now here in this moment in powerful and real ways. Would they shape us? Would they form us? into the community that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a couple of things here before we jump into our conversation. So last Sunday was our first Church in the Park of the summer. This phrase, Church in the Park, has gotten confused because we like literally did church in the park for a while during the pandemic. Um, But now we're kind of back to the sort of traditional sense of the term, which is where we take the last Sunday of each summer month, so June, July, and August, and we do not gather here in the theater. Instead, we gather out uh, on the lawn where, uh, coincidentally, we will be tomorrow for the 4th of July, and we just hang out, we have fun, we we get to know each other better. And I, you know, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and so for me, it was just really exciting to see, like, oh, yeah, it is so good when we do this. Uh, And we get to hang out in this way. So thank you to those who were uh, a part of that. And if you missed out on the last one, don't worry. There are two more opportunities for Church in the Park coming up in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Second thing is uh, is this. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, James. So here we go. All right. So today is the first time that we are live streaming from the theater to the internet. So hello, everybody out there. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing, and I just want to say a big, big thank you to James and Albert and Tate and Justin and all the other people who have kind of been in that, like, it, it's taken a while. There's some challenges that we have here. Yes. Thank you, Becky. 
Um, because this is not our space, right? There, there, there's some challenges in trying to get that up and running, and they have been working diligently at it for a while. And today is the, the kind of maiden voyage of our, of our live stream. So that's pretty cool. And then the last thing I want to say is this. Um, I will not be here for the next couple of weeks. Our family gets to go on vacation for a little while. We are really looking forward to that. James is excited that we're going. Thanks, James. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say, if you don't see us for a couple of weeks, we're not mad. We didn't, you know, storm off or anything like that. We're just going on vacation and getting some rest. And you guys are in good hands. You're in the good hands of Pastor Antonio and people like Jeff Hadachek and James and the rest of our leaders who are going to help make everything happen here on Sunday morning and throughout the week. So some upcoming things. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to begin with this. Up on the screen, there should be a long list of some of the jobs that I have had. All right? Car detailer, lab technician. By the way, I used to work for UC Davis a long, long time ago. That's an interesting story that I can tell you about sometime. Intramural referee, resident assistant, summer camp counselor, substitute teacher, young adult intern, head staff counselor, soccer shop manager. That was a fun one. Recreational soccer league supervisor, after school program director, Starbucks barista, all the Starbucks baristas said... There we go. Okay, a few of us. <laughs> Campus minister, associate pastor, lead pastor. All right, I start with this. I start with this because there is a big difference, right, between a job and a vocation. There is a big difference between a job and a vocation. A job is a thing that we do to work, to pay bills. Um, maybe it's we, we work because we've gained skills in a particular area, but a vocation is a calling. It literally comes, the word vocation comes from the Greek word that means to call, to call out of. One of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with, myself included, and, and this is part of even my journey, if you go back and look at that, that long list of things, is that sometimes we, we feel like, man, my job doesn't match my calling. And, and we are conditioned, I think, both by just our world and our culture, but I think also sometimes by the church to think that if we don't have this perfect match between our job and our calling, between our job and our vocation, that somehow we're doing it wrong, right? That we've missed something. In, in the first century, in, in, in Ephesus, in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, very few people would have thought this way, right? A job was about... Staying alive, it was about providing for a household, it was, a, it was there because there was work that just had to be done for the sake of survival. There weren't a lot of questions about fulfillment and purpose and, and does this job line up with my calling or not. Those are the questions that we ask, which, by the way, doesn't make us better or worse than them, just different, right? It's interesting to see how that shift has happened over the last 2,000 years. Now, what's fascinating to me about what Paul does here in this, in this passage, again, Paul is the author of this letter, is he drops this big statement. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of your vocation. If you just sit with that for a minute, like that's like, whoa, right? That's kind of heavy. And, and, and for us in Davis, where we have this high achiever mentality, that can feel like, oh, great, right? Like, I already have all these things that I'm trying to, to live up to. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. But look at what he does. He immediately jumps into qualities. Qualities. Similar qualities, by the way, that Paul uses in other places in the New Testament. And he calls them fruits of the Spirit. Things like humility, 
gentleness, peace, unity. What do these qualities have to do with calling and vocation? Well, they have everything to do with calling and vocation because our calling is tied to our character, not to our resume. Our calling is tied to our character, not to our resume. And so we're going to explore that a little bit this morning, some of the, the kind of tensions within that. But first I want to pull the camera back for a minute and just remind us about where we are here within this letter. So Paul, one of the great leaders, one of the big encouragers of the early church, writes this letter from prison to his friends in the city of Ephesus. This is a city that Paul had spent three years in, which for him was a long time. And so he had grown very fond of this church. They'd spent a lot of quality, deep time together. He had great affection for them. He wants to see this church do well. Meaning, he wanted them to be able to navigate the cultural pressures they faced as a young church without a map to follow. And it's interesting, we've spent, you know, uh, several weeks now in the first three chapters of this letter. And in the first three chapters, Paul clearly doesn't seem very concerned about things like how many people show up on Sunday morning or, or how robust their budget is. But he definitely cares about at least two things, probably a lot more. Paul uses a lot of words, right? <laughs> We've seen that for sure. Two things he cares deeply about are these. One, that they know how much God loves them. And that's really what the first three chapters, it totally builds up to this, this sort of crescendo moment, right? About how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God. He wants them to know how much God loves them. And all the way through, we see it again today in our text here in chapter 4. He wants them to walk together. Now, this word walk, if you've been in the church for a while, it's one of those words that, that's sort of a cliche. And maybe you, if you're like me, if I'm being honest, you sort of roll your eyes, right? You've probably had that like... Hey, brother, how's your walk? It's like, what does that mean? You know? But I want us to redeem this phrase. I think it's a really great phrase, uh, this idea of walking. And Paul's going to use it a lot in the second half of this letter. What does it mean to walk, to journey, to move in a direction with people towards Jesus? We're going to explore a lot of that in the coming weeks. Now, Paul, again, spent the first three chapters reminding the Ephesians of who they are. So many incredible reminders. They are holy, faithful, blessed, chosen, blameless, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished with grace, unified with Jesus, included, loved. And so now the next three chapters become the sort of so what? If all of this is true, what do we do then? How do we live? How do we walk in light of this love. So a big transition happens here at the beginning of chapter 4. And I want us to look for just a moment at the two sides of this letter because the two sides of this letter illustrate a very important truth, a very important theological truth for us. This tension that, that I mentioned earlier, right, between uh, identity and vocation. People have been wrestling with this for thousands of years. This is not just an us thing or a 21st century thing. The tension between identity and vocation, between who we are and what we do. The tension between, uh, I want you to know, again, how high and wide and deep is the love of God, but then also live a life worthy of 
the calling. There's two dangers, I think, in this tension. One of those dangers is that we fall into what I would call a Christian nihilism where, where like nothing really matters. Right? We just sort of float along and then we die and we go to heaven. I would call this all identity, no vocation. The other danger is into sort of a, a fundamentalist legalism full of rules and specific behaviors that, that sort of mark what it means to be spiritual. This is no idea together. Neither of these answers to the tension are modeled for us or taught by Jesus or by Paul. What is taught and what is modeled is that what we do flows from who we are. What we do flows from who we are. As Paul moves from the, the, from the theological, from the identity affirmation to the practical, to what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy, from personal affirmation to practical living, he's not heaping extra burdens on us. He is reflecting this deep truth. What we do flows from who we are. Later on in the, the letter, he says it this way. I love this phrase. As dearly loved children walk in the way of love. As dearly loved children walk in the way of love. So there's this foundation. Dearly loved children. But then there is something that gets built on that foundation, right? There's a structure to that walk in the way of love. This is a, a, not just an Ephesians thing. This idea is, is taught all over Scripture, this life that flows out of our relationship with God. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. So here they are, right? Male and female, created in the image of God, dearly loved children. But they don't just sit around and eat fruit in the garden. They, they are blessed and God says to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Right? Identity and calling. Who we are flowing, or what we do flowing out of who we are. Colossians chapter 1. To this end, the end here being maturity. Paul talks about maturity for the first couple of verses before this. This is another letter to another church. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I contend, but I contend with all of the energy of Christ at work in me. Matthew 7, 24, this has been a, a foundational verse for us in our conversation about the practices, the spiritual disciplines. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. And then again, back to our, our text today. <clears throat> I like the NASB translation of this, walk in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner worthy as dearly loved children. What we do flows from who we are. Here again, our relational theological framework is so important because certain relationships ask certain things of us. I, I've been married for 14 years now. Amy, my wife, loves me as unconditionally as any human being that I know. That does not give me the liberty to sit on the couch and just chill all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> Grown. 
Who I am or what I do flows out of who I am. I am married to Amy. This, this relationship has formed me and it's helped me become more disciplined, more, more others-oriented, looking for ways to help and serve, not out of duty, but because I love her and I want to do those things for her. The same pattern, again, at work in our relationship with God, to walk in a manner worthy is yet another invitation to relationship. To walk with the God in whose image I am created. To walk in the way of love as dearly loved children. And so because, because we are deeply loved, because our identity is secure, we can practice humility and gentleness and patience with one another. Because our identity is secure, we can make every effort to pursue unity and peace. Because we are deeply loved, we can do all of the practical things that Paul is going to list out here in these final three chapters. And there's actually a lot of things. Again, Paul had a lot of words. We can live in the gift that is the oneness of God and the oneness of the church. Another way of saying right relationship with God and with each other, which is the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. What we do flows from who we are. All of which to say there are some identity questions that does our identity come from? What is it attached to? What are we attached to? Is our identity based on our accomplishments? Do we derive it from what other people say about us? Do we draw our identity from family messages, from group affiliations? Or is our identity dearly loved children? Children who have been redeemed by Jesus. Now I want to pause here and, and name something uh, that I think is really important just to say out loud. We obviously live in a moment of high contentiousness, right? A moment where, where there's just so many things happening all the time. Our news feeds are, are flooded constantly with the next scandal, the next controversy, the next whatever that is going on. And it could be, it could be overwhelming. It could be impossible to feel like you're up on all of those things. And so we end up in these places where we're kind of doom scrolling, Right? Or maybe we're, we're posting stuff out of anger. We get sucked into this madness that doesn't really produce humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Now, have some grace for yourself. Okay, because again, these are unprecedented times. I know we all hate that phrase. But these are unprecedented times. Human beings have not had to carry the weight of all of this stuff the way that, 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 that we do sometimes. But... Having said all of that, I do see so many ways in which we sacrifice our identity as dearly loved children on the altar of political affiliation. Last summer, I had a conversation with someone who was upset uh, about just some things that they were seeing happening in our church and in our world. And they shared with me this phrase, I will never forget this. They said, it's just really hard to be conservative in Davis. Now, they're, they're, I think I can have some empathy and some sympathy for that statement, and I understand what they were trying to say, but what they communicated, intentionally or unintentionally, 
was that their formation was tied much more directly to discipleship to a political view than to discipleship in the way of Jesus. The way I would have said it, or the way I would have hoped they would have said it, is that it's hard to follow Jesus in Davis. Right? It is. It is hard to follow Jesus anywhere and any time. Whether we're talking about our current political climate, the you know, first century Ephesus, whether we're talking about the worship of Artemis, which we've seen was a big impact on this church, the Roman Empire, the caste system, put your, put your pen down in any, any place at any moment in history, any system of power that tries to usurp the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? These, th- when, when the powers fight against that reality, it's, it is difficult to follow Jesus. However, there's the good news for us, right, is that Jesus, as we just sang, goes before us in this. And so we can live in the midst of turmoil, in contentious times, in political division, in all of this stuff, because our identity is secure as dearly loved children. Again, of the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is very comprehensive. Now, when we begin to grasp how great God's love is for us, when we walk in love as dearly loved children, we begin to walk in a manner worthy because what we do flows from who we are. So I want to end kind of back where we started on this idea of vocation, of calling, of work, and of jobs. In Scripture, there really isn't much of attention. Actually, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. To, to tie the Old and New Testaments together, we are called to work and we are called to ministry. We are called to steward creation, Genesis chapter 1. And then we are called to make disciples, Matthew 28. And for some of us, you see this Venn diagram on the screen here. For some of us, that overlap might be more because... You know, you're a pastor or whatever, more holy or special or anything like that. It's just a question of degree. Both callings, both callings together lead to God's purposes being fulfilled, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We are called to steward creation, to work, and we are called to ministry to make disciples. And we can do that in all kinds of interesting and fascinating ways. So whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's delivering mail or research in a lab or writing songs or raising kids or gardening or hanging out in the park on the 4th of July or studying for a test, or helping set up the theater on Sunday morning, whether it's making a latte, or playing soccer, or teaching science, or fighting fires, whether it's writing policy, or managing accounts, giving your money, cleaning graffiti off a wall, whatever you do, may you walk in the way of love as dearly loved children. Let's pray. Father, I know that for many of us, we struggle with that 
that tension. Between our job, between what it says on our resume, and these things, this mission that you have invited us <clears throat> into. Making all things new. Stewarding creation. <clears throat> Discipling people. Sharing the good news of Jesus with others. May we see that whatever we do, we can do it as dearly loved children <clears throat> who walk in the way of love. Father, I pray for those of us who are here this morning who, who are wondering, who are sensing those deeper, wrestling with those deeper questions of identity. May we know for the first time, may we know in a fresh way how much you love us. Through the, the demonstration of your love in sending your son Jesus, to live with us, to walk with us, to teach us, and ultimately to give his life for us. And through his death on a cross and his resurrection three days later, God, to, to free us from our sin, from our shame, Free us to live into our identities as dearly loved children. God, we are so grateful for the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, because of that, we can live as dearly loved children and we can walk in that love, which begins to make sense of what we do in the world and the way that we do it. So, Father, again, whatever we do, whatever it says on our resume, we, may we do it as children who are loved, as we walk in this way of love. May we do it as, as part of our mission to demonstrate your good news to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.